The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning. And welcome to all who are joining us this morning, both virtually and present in the room. It's great to have you here. I'm Laura Shinnam, Minister of Congregational Life, and I'm joined in the chancel today by Vanessa Rush Southern, our senior minister, Mari Magaloni Ramos, our worship associate, Mark Sumner, our choir director, and Eric Hamilton, our guest musician, as well as our amazing AV and tech staff with Jonathan Silk at the head and all who are making today possible. Thank you. It is, if it is your first time watching, thanks for joining us. You can follow along in your order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by filling out our connections form, which is on the welcome table or through a link that is in the order of service and video description. If you can stay for coffee hour today, please do so. And for the virtual folks, please consider joining our virtual coffee hour using the Zoom link once our service is over. We have some questions we'd love to ask those who are joining through Zoom, so please especially stay to help us plan this fall and come join us for a few minutes. A quick note about COVID. Those of us who are up here and who will speak or sing without masks are all vaccinated and boosted and had an antigen test this morning. Thank you all for masking and your care for one another. Today's service looks at the question, are we normal? Sounds like you have some thoughts about that already. In today's context, we are not using normal as a concept to compare ourselves to each other or define a standard we all need to uphold. Rather, we are looking at our common human experiences and how that can influence our lifespan faith development programming. We hope that you find something in this morning's service to carry you through your day and your upcoming week. We have been lighting this blue candle since early in the pandemic. It is a ritual to bring all of you who were elsewhere into this space. And we have gone through, from what I understand, two blue candles. It feels like there's a time for transition in this ritual. So today, we will light this blue candle one last time. Perhaps in the future, we can use it to mark the anniversary of the pandemic start for us. And later in our service, when we light our chalice, we will use this candle's light, and we will move forward each week when we light our chalice on Sunday to remember that its purpose is also always to bring those of us who are far away and just not right inside our church walls into this gathered space, into this gathered community. I invite you to sing our first hymn, number 331, in our gray hymnals. If you are at home, it's in your orders of service. Please rise in spirit or body.
Please join me in lighting our chalice with our blue candle, this symbol of Unitarian Universalism, and a reminder of this community gathered as one spirit, whether we're gathered within these walls or far away. For those of you at home, feel free to light your own candle or chalice if you have one, as we do so here. Let's say the words together. They are printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. Now the truth is that we lost one blue candle because it was left on for days. So it did strive valiantly to survive, but you know, it was tested. Like we all were, what an incredible metaphor. Good morning, everybody. I know we are all thrilled to see one another, and I am thrilled to be here with Reverend Shenham. I hope you all get a chance, make a chance to meet her and get to know her. It's been wonderful already to have her here and I keep apologizing because she feels so much a part of us and it feels so comfortable, you know, that I keep forgetting to tell her things that she has no way of knowing unless I tell her, you know, which she has not taken as collegial sabotage yet, so there you go.
This October coming, just right around the corner, I want to let you all know is going to be a wonderful season of preaching and programming. Most of the preachers are going to be familiar to those of you who've been part of this community. They're beloved, they're known. The first Sunday, though, that is next Sunday, we have the Reverend Daniel Cantor, who is the senior minister of one of our largest churches in the denomination, RUU Church in Dallas, which literally sits as one tiny little blue enclave in a very wealthy and conservative part of Dallas and has chosen to stay there and just dedicated a huge expansion to their building and their ministries, which includes this incredible leadership in interfaith work around reproductive rights. And that is why Daniel's going to be with us next week and on Saturday helping to kick off our training for folks who I hope will all of you open to consider joining for a day long of training by some of our incredible leaders of the women's rights group here of an organization called Sacred, which is this interfaith organization around women's reproductive rights, reproductive rights. And then on Sunday for Daniel's sermon and then a time for question and answer about how his community as a religious community has stepped into this work and why, and why it's powerful as a faith community that they've done so and others in other denominations are doing so as well. So please, please make a point to come. Daniel's a close friend and colleague. Um, I'm really, really honored that he agreed to be here. I also want to remind you all, not just that we have the auction that's taking place right after service on October 16th, but actually today, if you looked in your orders of service, kicks off the silent auction part. So, woohoo! So there are, there's a QR code, there's a, you know, sort of other ways to access um, and begin your, um, your work to fund, you know, and participate in the auction which is both a way to fund the church, but also it's this secret way that we build connections because you purchase a dinner or an opportunity for an outdoor picnic or, you know, to stay in someone's home um, and you end up getting to know them better. So it's this doing well while doing good, which is always a beautiful way to live in the world. Our fund a need this year will go to help pay for the ability to have an intern, a ministerial intern next year. So thank you in advance. All of you, yeah, I see some folks um, raising their fists of joy in the back. So yeah, so that'll be one of the live auction items. So, you know, hope you can be at the live auction. And if you can't, you can always, you know, cell phone in a bid for anything, including the, the uh, ministerial intern. I will be doing that. On this note, please put in your calendars April 16th when our intern from two years ago, Meg McGuire, is going to be ordained here because she's asked to be ordained here and will hope to fly in her childhood minister who was here also as a minister and was one of the first, if not the first, ordained out gay man in our denomination and just a fantastic retired now minister and the author, one of the authors of our gray hymnal, Mark Bellatini. So we're crossing our fingers that Mark can join us. Um, we're gonna put on the full court press as in church ways of doing full court press, so. I will be on sabbatical in October, just so you all know. Um, every five years, ministers in our movement get sabbatical, five months. And this year, because it's Laura's first year and a huge reboot of life together, um, I have split up a month in October and a month in January. And the next year, I'll take 
um, some consecutive months the way you're meant to. So you will be held in fantastic hands with some exciting things happening. And I will see you all again the first, well, I'll be back November 1st, so I'll see you all then. Meanwhile, this Sunday, pick up letters, participate in the Good Trouble congregation effort. We're in the thousands of letters for that. They'll all go out, you return them here. They all go out right before the election to get good turnout in key swing districts. And look in your order of service always for other opportunities to connect, to deepen, to serve. Everything there should be open to everyone or it shouldn't be there, so please, Feel free to engage in the ways that your spirit, mind, body, you know, are inviting you to. With that, let's take a moment to greet one another. So please, as you feel comfortable, if you are exercising, want a little more physical space, you can either have, wear one of those red stickers or just put your hands across your you know, chest or fist bump and people will understand your need to protect yourself in this time. So thank you. Welcome, everybody.
All right. Let's come back to our seats. And Eric is gonna bring us in with some centering music. This congregation is bound not by creed, but by covenant, which is a word that simply means promises of the heart. These are the promises we make about how we want to be together in the search for truth and lives of meaning that we commit to engage in here. The covenant words that are printed in your order of service are some of these promises I invite you to say them with me and then join me in singing our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, 
to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. Life, if you live it long enough, you realize, is this wild paradox, isn't it? Full of both heartbreak and brokenness, and it's also stunningly alive with beauty and grace. As a people of faith, we deny neither. We embrace and we hold and we seek to live between and among both of them and step into this world as witnesses and servants of all of it. This ritual time is for the naming of some of what we hold in this way, in our lives, right now. So I invite you to join me in that ritual of holding and naming. Today, we'll ring our gong first for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 8,641 people died of COVID-19 globally, 1,928 in the United States alone. We ring that gong for the legacy of all the losses of this pandemic that we are still in the midst of. And we also name the teeming life that seemed to have taken hold of our city, our Bay Area again this weekend, the sense of a place remembering the healing joy of being back in the world together that's happening everywhere, it seems. We hold both these realities. We ring our gong a second time for the people of Ukraine and people in war everywhere, private wars in homes racked by upheaval or nations or shared ones between nations, struggles against poverty or racism, homophobia, our shared struggle against climate change. 
We witness to all of this unnecessary pain and suffering. And we also name all those who have and do fight fiercely in this world for what they love and what's worth preserving. And for the peacemakers and the healers too. We strike our gong a third time for blessings on our Jewish siblings and in all of those here too with us who will celebrate tonight the Jewish New Year and usher in the days of reflection and atonement in the week ahead. We strike our gong in the spirit of this season, the spirit we hope will infect us all. Finally, I want to invite all of you who have something on your heart to speak it. If you lit a candle this morning or were planning on one, you might say out loud who or what you're naming your candle for. So I invite you, we'll strike the gong once in honor of all that is named out loud. So please speak whatever words or prayers you have out loud now if you feel so moved. For gun violence and its ceasing. And hopes for a beautiful bell choir. May we keep all that we've named this morning out loud or that's named silently in our hearts, in our thoughts and prayers. All of this wild paradox of life, heartbreak and hope, beauty and grace, struggle and possibility. And may we serve all life with love and ease the tide of suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
I invite you to settle into your seats, planting your feet firmly on the floor, rooting you to the earth below. Let your shoulders relax. Take a deep breath in, expanding your belly and out, allowing yourself to center. For this morning's meditation, we're going to keep our eyes open as I walk you through a practice to help ground you in the place and time. So take another deep breath in and out and look around the room and find five items and let your eyes rest on five distinct things. Take another breath in and out. I invite you to listen around you and identify four things or people or sounds that you can hear. Take a moment as you identify each one to name them in your mind. Taking another deep breath in and out. And tapping into your experience of touch. Identify three things you are touching at this moment. And name them distinctly in your mind. Again, breathing in and out. This time you might need to use your imagination a little bit and identify two smells, either in this room or that you experienced this morning. Remember them and name them in your mind. And as you take a final breath in and out, think about a particular taste you enjoyed today or recently and bring it to mind and name it in your mind. This is an exercise we have at our fingertips at any time to help ground ourselves in place, in time, and in our bodies. Now settle in to quietly reflect on a possible new groundedness you may find 
within this space, within your body. And in a moment, we will continue our meditation with some music by our guest musician, Eric. Watching the news reports about the Venezuelan migrants who were lured by operatives of the governor of Florida and dumped in Martha's Vineyard has been heartbreaking. Although I'm not Venezuelan, I am Mexican and I recognize the cruel stunt because it has been used on me. It is a ruse carried out under the guise of offering support, which makes it especially demeaning. 
like the uh, tracking system in my elementary and middle schools in Texas that claimed to help students learn at their own pace, but in reality was a way to segregate poor students of color like me, or the high school counselor who helpfully discouraged me from searching and researching colleges. Honey, college is hard and instead offered to connect me with a terrific training program for cashiers at Montgomery Wards. The abuse is racially motivated, of course, even if some of the culprits who participate turn out to be people of color. The point is to single out specific groups for isolation, grooming, and exploitation. But understanding this doesn't diminish the insidious effect that years of being undermined have had on my psyche. Although by nature I tend to be a playful person, I am quite reclusive. The soul-crushing sense of loss and abandonment I feel when aggressions that shock my system don't even register with my white friends can be overwhelming. And when an aggression unwittingly comes from a friend, well, the whole world seems like a minefield. Feeling out of place isn't an occasional occurrence for me. It's where I live for the most part. But reaching out when you're the underdog can feel like just another setup. There is so much history that complicates our ability to connect. I honestly don't know what to do about it. <laughs> but I do know that if there is a place where connection and reconciliation have a chance of blooming, it is here. Our beautiful Unitarian Universalism invites us to enter into a responsible search for truth and meaning. That word, responsible, it makes all the difference to me. It implies that an element of care and accountability is expected in our interactions. Unitarian Universalism is born of the conviction that each of us is capable of knowing only a fragment of the whole truth. Well, that tells me that diversity is not only appreciated here, but that seeking diversity is essential to the quest for enlightenment and the purpose of our gathering and community. Here, I can expect to approach and be approached with respectful curiosity. Here, all are at once imbued with the humility of the student and the dignity of the teacher. As poet Gwendolyn Brooks said, we are each other's harvest, each other's business, each other's magnitude and bond. I know it can be hard to show up. Each of us is broken in some specific way. But maybe that's the point of gathering, 
What if our brokenness can be incorporated into a, a great human mosaic, each piece fixed to the other with love, reflecting the wholeness of our one true source? I'm going to keep showing up. I hope you do too. The offering today goes to support UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital. They provide medical services for virtually all pediatric conditions, including cancer, heart disease, pulmonology, diabetes, and endocrinology, as well as care for critically ill newborns. Learn more at ucsfbenioffchildrens.org to make a donation on Vanco or by using the donation button on our website, please select the offering choice to make your gift. If you are sending a check, please mark in the memo today's date and add special offering. Today's date is 92522. Rudy Francisco, the poet we are about to hear, is one of the most recognizable names in spoken word poetry. At the age of 21, Rudy completed his BA in psychology and decided to continue his education by pursuing an MA in organizational studies. As an artist, Rudy Francisco is 
an amalgamation, I can never say that word right, of social critique, introspection, honesty, and humor. He uses personal narratives to discuss the politics of race, class, gender, and religion, while simultaneously pinpointing and reinforcing the interconnected nature of human existence. Francisco is the author of two full-length poetry collections, Helium and I'll Fly Away. And Rudy was the first spoken word poet to perform on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and was most recently seen on ABC's The Bachelorette as the contestant's poetry coach. I invite you to settle in and listen to his poem entitled, My Honest Poem. I was born on July 27th. That makes me a Leo. I don't really know what that means. I'm five foot six, I weigh 145 pounds, I don't know how to swim, and I'm a sucker for a girl with a nice smile and clean sneakers. I'm still learning how to whisper. I'm often loud in places where I should be quiet. I'm often quiet in places where I should be loud. I was born feet first, and I've been backwards ever since. I like ginger ale. A lot. I've been told that I give really bad hugs. People say it feels like I'm trying to escape. Sometimes it's because I am. Secretly, I get really nervous every time someone gets close enough to hear me breathe. I have this odd fascination with things like sandcastles and ice sculptures. I assume it's because I usually find myself dedicating time to things that will only last a few moments. That's also why I tend to fall in love with women who will never love me back. I know it sounds crazy, but it's actually much easier than it seems. And to be honest, I think it's safer that way. See, relationships, they often remind me that I'm not afraid of heights or falling, but I'm scared of what's going to happen the moment that my body hits the ground. I'm clumsy. Yesterday, I tripped over my self-esteem. I landed on my pride, and it shattered like an iPhone with a broken face. Now, I can't even tell who's trying to give me a compliment. I've never been in the military, but I have this purple heart. I got it from beating myself up over things I can't fix. I know this sounds weird, but sometimes... I wonder what my bedsheets say about me when I'm not around. I wonder what the curtains would do if they found out about all the things I've done behind their backs. I've got a hamper that's overflowing with really, really loud mistakes and a graveyard in my closet. I'm afraid that if I let you see my skeletons, you'll grind my bones into powder and get high on my fault lines. Hi, my name is Rudy. I enjoy frozen yogurt, people watching, and laughing for absolutely no reason at all but I don't allow myself to cry as often as I need to. I have solar power confidence. I have a battery-operated smile. My hobbies include editing my life story, hiding behind metaphors, and trying to convince my shadow that I'm someone worth following. I don't know much, but I do know this. I know heaven is full of music. I know God listens to my heartbeat on his iPod. It reminds him that we still got work to do. I invite you to sing hymn number 1053, How Could Anyone? It's in our teal hymnals. If you are at home, it's in your order of service. Please rise in body or spirit as you are able.
I have a distinct memory from my time during the pandemic. I did a lot of walking during that time. Walking gave me an ability to explore the world outside of my walls, of my home. It opened up possibilities of connection with family members when they wanted to join me, and it gave me an opportunity to get away from family members when I needed to. Walking helped clear my head and kept me grounded. And it was not the walking of pre-pandemic times with people bustling about on the paths or on the streets or in the neighborhoods. There was no one around. No one. Which is why this memory stands out to me of that time. I was walking up the hill near my house, and I was coming around the corner, and I saw someone. And I freaked out. Normally, I would like wave or nod or make some kind of acknowledgement, but I freaked out, and I put my head down, and I crossed the street, and I hurried past, and I think I even held my breath, which is hard to do when you're walking uphill. And I remember passing that person and having that reaction, and I remember my heart sinking, thinking, oh my goodness, is this what our world's going to be like? Are we going to be afraid of each other going forward? How in the world are we going to recover from this? I know I'm not alone in asking these questions during the pandemic. It may have been a different experience that triggered you, but all of us have asked similar questions. What just happened? How are we going to recover? Some would say we're in the midst of recovering and starting to take some steps forward into normalcy, whatever that is. 
However, as we come back to social settings, I know I find myself doing a bit of a dance. Do I shake hands? Do I fist bump? Do I do my elbow? Do I hug? Do I keep my hands at my side? It feels like a chicken dance. Also, do I remember how to talk to multiple people who are standing in front of me in a group that aren't on screen? And I find myself distracted by what I call the Zoom effect. See, we had these lovely screens that showed us, if we had our self-view on, we showed us what our facial expressions were, what our hair looked like, what our teeth, if they were clean. We had that mirrored in front of us so we could see what we were projecting out into the world. We don't have that anymore. Doesn't it feel a little vulnerable? A little unsettling? We have to rely on each other again to show us how we're, tell how we're showing up. That's kind of scary. And what about the exhaustion of just being around a bunch of people again? Being an, ex an introvert, not an extrovert, being an introvert, I know I need a lot of time after being amongst people to kind of recharge. But I'm talking to some of our extroverts and those people that balance that line between introvert and extrovert, and they're starting to wonder, why am I so exhausted at the end of the day? And I'm wondering, I'm like, well, maybe it's because you're around a bunch of people and you haven't had that. And it's not as easy to excuse ourselves when we're talking to others in front of us. We don't have a doorbell we can go answer or a child that might need us. And we can't just close our eyes to turn off our video. That would be rude. Many of us are starting to travel again, remembering the, the fun of it, but also the chore of it. Some of us are experiencing our partners traveling for the first time and being home alone in our houses, wondering, oh, this is what this feels like. And along with travel, families are experiencing their calendars fill up with lessons, homework, sports, school events. They are realizing on all of a sudden, in this time when they thought they wanted to be so intentional about rebuilding their calendars, this tsunami of events that have crashed onto their calendars. And looking at those schedules add to the feelings of exhaustion and not being able to take a breath. This is only a small slice of that possible recovery that we're experiencing right now. And I'm wondering in that small slice of recovery, the social awkwardness, the vulnerability of showing up, the exhaustion of being present, the unexpected full, full calendar, I'm wondering by show of hands, how many of you resonate with just this small slice? And if you're virtual, you can put up your hand or put the icon, icon up. Keep them up, and I want you to look around and see who has their hands raised if you're, you're experiencing this small slice. Okay, you can put your hands down. 
So keep that in mind, and I'll come back to it. This last year, I worked as a chaplain resident at UCSF Children's, Binioff Children's Hospital. I had two main jobs. One, meet people where they are, and two, help normalize people's experience. The first part of my job, meet people where they are, might seem pretty simple. The idea is to walk into a room and encounter a patient and or family without any assumptions, being open to their experience, and accessing what they need right at that moment. The funny thing is we as human beings make assumptions about people and places and things all the time. And we try to rely on our previous experience to inform how we're going to show up when we walk in a room, when we greet each other. Before I left the position, I trained the incoming chaplain residents, and I remember getting ready to visit a patient with one of the residents, and the resident was, we, well, I met with this person yesterday, and they were worried about this and this and this, and how do I make sure that I like touch on those things when we go in the room? And I said, well, let's take a breath and let's, let's go into the room and see. And, and they were like this, and we walk in the room, and the patient had completely different ideas, completely different expectations, completely different news. And we walked out, and they said, oh, okay, that's what meeting people where they are means. Before I left the position, I remembered to myself that the experience of this idea of meeting people where they are over the past year, it did not matter how much information I had or how many times I had met with that patient. It could be months that I met with that patient. And no matter how many times I knew them or met with them or read their chart or did any kind of preparation, no matter what I did when I walked in that room and what I prepared, it did not prepare me for what I encountered. Now in the hospital setting, it's probably pretty much in our faces all the time that we know people's uh, conditions and, and lives change from moment to moment. But what about in our daily one-on-one -on -one with each other or our daily interactions with each other outside of the hospital? I remember when I was serving my previous congregation getting a phone call from one of our elders. I was heightened in my awareness of this elder because the, there were life challenges they were facing. And I immediately had the response that the call was a pastoral concern and that something had happened to them or their partner, which is why it completely caught me off surprise when they had called to talk about an offering that they had that we had collected and how they disagreed with what we, were, what we were trying to promote. And I had to take a few breaths and kind of calm myself down and realize, okay, I need to switch, switch where I'm at here so I can meet this person where they are. I'm curious how many of you have had a similar experience of thinking you're going to meet or talk to someone for one thing and it ends up being something else? or you're having a discussion with someone and you can tell they're distracted or their emotions are heightened and you don't know exactly why. Have you had that experience? Yeah, look around. Hold on to that. The second part 
of my job as a chaplain resident was to normalize people's experience. When people are in the midst of crisis and trauma, they can feel isolated and lonely. It was my job to help them find ways their experience connected to others. I did this by naming and affirming the emotions they were feeling, especially where there might be multiple feelings in a situation. To know that you can feel joy, anger, and sadness all at the same time, all at the same time, and that others have felt those emotions all at the same time as well, is a huge comfort. We, we isolate our feelings sometimes even, so to know that those can all be present can be a stabilizer in somebody's life. Another way I normalized people's experience was to share a similar experience, experience with them to help them understand they're not alone and there are others that can help support them. The intensive care nursery held 53 beds. This was just the nursery. 53 beds, and most of the time I was there in the year, all of them were full. I encountered many parents, first-time parents, as well as parents who had multiple children. And all of them were doubting themselves, doubting that they could care for their babies. One way I was able to connect and help normalize their experience was to share my experience of my second child being hospitalized after the first week of his life. I knew what it was like to watch medical personnel work on him when I couldn't get to him. I knew what it felt like to question whether I had a clue that I even knew how to take care of him anymore. I knew the experience of being scared, hormonal, and sleep deprived while wondering if he was gonna be okay. By sharing this story and normalizing the experience and the emotions, I could affirm to parents that they do know what they are doing, that they are good parents, that they did nothing wrong, and especially that they're not alone in their experience. How many of you know the comfort it brings when you are not alone in your experience? around. So we have done a little bit of this in normalizing our experience throughout the sermon today. We have seen by our raised hands how many of us are experiencing the pandemic recovery, how many of us have made assumptions about others, and how many of us have found comfort in shared experiences. When I asked the question, are we normal? I was not asking in a way to create a standard of what it means to be human or a way to compare ourselves to each other. Instead, I was pointing at ways we have common experiences that can help us find comfort with each other, that can help us find connection and then truly, truly appreciate our uniqueness. Because we know that although experiences can be common, they are not the same. And each of us holds a unique perspective of that common experience 
as we heard in Mari's reflection today. When we start to share those unique perspectives, we allow ourselves to open up to other ways of responding, of other ways of being in that common experience. This ability to normalize our experiences and name them with each other is a cornerstone in building our lifespan faith development program. By lifespan faith development, I mean faith development from birth to death. And those two bookends right there, birth and death, whether we want to admit it or not, are or will be common, a common human experience amongst us. We are all born, however, we all have unique perspectives and stories about our birth. Imagine, just look at all the people in this room, the people virtually, those unique perspectives on that one event in life. One event, how rich. We all have a common experience of knowing one day we will die. And we all have our own unique perspective of how we feel about it, our own experiences of how we've already encountered it. There's this joke about a preacher up in the pulpit preaching, and his punchline is, each member in this congregation will die. And he looks down in the front pew, and there's a man smiling and nodding his head. And the preacher shakes his head and goes, each member in this congregation will die. And the person's nodding and smiling. And after the service, the preacher goes up to the man and goes, okay, I said, each member in this congregation will die, and you kept nodding and smiling. And the man said, well, I'm not a member of the congregation. <laughs> How lovely to, to have that perspective, right? Another common experience we hold is that we like to laugh. We like to have fun. We like to feel joy. And we all have our unique perspectives of, on what is funny and what is not. Using this as a cornerstone to lifespan faith development, we can build programming that meets people where they are in that unique life experience they have and build a common human experience that promotes a sense of belonging, which is really what we all want to feel. We want to feel we belong. And if we can feel we have a place in a shared community of belonging, then we can do the hard work of exploring racial equity, of looking at reproductive freedom, and of addressing the injustices of the world. We can recognize by being grounded in the common experience with unique perspectives that we have a beautiful opportunity to learn and grow from each other as we journey through life from birth 
to death. And we can see each other truly as whole and holy beings. One instance of this, we all know that we experience living in a racialized society. And each of us carry a unique perspective of how it has shaped us and how that has harmed us. We can use that foundation to help us center, enter into the work of living into our eighth principle and know that this foundation to our programming is something for all ages to know, for all ages to explore. So I invite you to think about ways we can build programming across the lifespan that honor our common human experiences and allows for the unique perspectives to be highlighted. Asking yourself how they overlap across gender expressions, racial identities, physical abilities, religious beliefs, and all the ways, all the ways the beauty of, beauty of diversity shows up in humanity as well as our natural world. I welcome the dialogue, I welcome the ideas, the thoughts, and the experiences as we take the first steps in our journey together. I am excited about the, what it can bring to our lifespan faith development programming and the deeper sense of belonging it can create in our congregation. May we hold this as our work to do together, and may it be so. Amen. I invite you to sing our closing song, 1012, When I Am Frightened. This is a new song for this congregation, and notice the ways it invites us to be scared and compassionate with ourselves and others. You can find it in our teal hymnals, and if you are at home, in your orders of service. Will you? 
May we remember to meet each person where they are and find the places of connection and belonging within our human experience. May you take with you, as you leave, a sense of belonging, a sense of being held, and a sense of being loved by this community. May love be with you on this day and all of your days ahead. Amen. <laughs>